And we were dead in our trespasses and sins in, in which we once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, following the, the evil desires of our flesh. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Well, once again, as we've said a few times already, welcome. Welcome to North Park Baptist Church. Well, we're not just friendly, we're family. <laughs> that was an old tagline we used to use a long time ago. We're not just friendly. All together, we're not just friendly, we're family. Amen. All right. And from our family to your family, we want to say welcome and thank you for being here and listening online. And uh, before we get started, just a few announcements. Uh, we know that Mother's Day is coming up pretty soon, May 9th. May 9th is Mother's Day, and it just so happens to land on the Sunday. Oh, just it always lands on Sunday. <laughs> Which is not true in the Latin American cultures. It's always on the 10th, May 10th, yeah. And so uh, my mom, she gets two Mother's Days if it, if it doesn't land on Sunday. Um, also, we have Father's Day right afterwards. So Mom's Days, we always have something nice for the mothers. And uh, this year, we're going to do something really nice for you as well. And uh, last year, we weren't able to do a whole lot. But this year, I think we're going to be able to meet that goal, which we want to make you guys feel special. Moms, all you guys, all you moms, okay? And then, of course, it's Father's Day right after. Yeah, Father's Day. So what? Uh, we also got a few other things coming up here pretty soon. We have some evangelistic events coming up. And um, we're going to be planning these in the next few weeks. So just so you know, we have three of them planned for August. Excuse me. June, July, and August. I'll get the dates here soon. And um, we're going to need volunteers. We're going to need some help. We're going to need some people to, well, to, to put some, some effort into making this evangelistic event a success. We want to invite people, want to get the word out, want to get things ready, set up, tear down, clean up, chairs, uh, pop-ups, whatever we need. So that's coming up in two weeks, two Sundays from now, we're going to get together. We're going to start putting some task teams together. So bring some volunteers, people that you know that like to help. And uh, we want to really make this a huge success. We have a message, the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we want to proclaim. And so we are going to do uh, whatever we can to be able to do that. And, and it's interesting because a lot of what we've been able to accomplish in these past few years uh, has been solely by the grace of God. God's been able to bless us with the ability to rebuild and, and uh, also just do the building and uh, be able to clean up the yards and, and all the landscaping, the park, everything that we've been able to do, it's been by God's grace. None of it has caused us to go into debt. And so we thank God for that. And so this last week, we were given an opportunity to receive some grants and some funds for evangelistic events. As long as it's an evangelistic event, we will give you all the money that you need. And I go, all the money? It says, yeah. Uh, and so uh, we, we applied. We haven't gotten a response yet, but we are moving forward in faith that God is going to respond to that. So we're going to make this as, as best as we can. And I need your help. Okay. It's not a one-man show. Uh, it's, it's a church and, and just a few people that are willing to take on a couple of responsibilities. So as this time comes up, it, it starts in June, two weeks from now, we'll get together and I'll have some more detailed information, especially if you know what it is that we need. Okay. Some of you have already put on some events like this, or, or maybe you've been involved in some of these things. Bring some ideas. What can we do to make sure that this gets promoted? 
What can we do to make sure that people feel comfortable and safe? What can we do to be able to put up the pop-ups, chairs? You know, how many teams do we need? So come with that information. I need your input as well, okay? So we'll be bringing that to you uh, here in a couple of weeks. Because the message of Jesus Christ is the most important message to the world. Amen? The message uh, of, what Jesus, of what Jesus Christ did on the cross is this blessed assurance that we all share. What is your story? What has God done in your life? How has the message of Jesus Christ impacted you and given you the ability to, to sit and, and understand and know that if something were to happen to you today, you would be standing, standing in eternity with God at that very moment. And God has done something of an amazing work in your life. And he's been doing this from the very beginning. These are the things that we preach and proclaim. That Jesus Christ came to the earth to save sinners, of which I am the worst one. And I said this the other day, and people said, well, yeah, that's what you think. You ought to see the sins I've done. All of a sudden, it turned into a bragamony. We don't have to explain that, you know, we are sinners. We're all sinners. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the grace of God has overcome us, overcome all that, and has clothed us in Jesus Christ. And as Paul was preaching to the people in Galatia, the, the region, just to kind of go back over a little bit of what we've been talking about. He wrote this book. He wrote this letter so that he can address these issues of salvation. Salvation by grace alone through faith. The people in Galatia were being... Uh, bewitched is what he calls it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Bewitched into believing that, okay, I'm glad that you've become a Christian. I'm glad that you've committed your life to Christ. I'm glad that you've made that commitment. However, you have to follow the laws of Moses. And the laws of Moses, especially the circumcision part, but all the traditions and all the festivals have also got to be included in your salvation. And Paul says to the people in Galatia, you know, if anybody else comes to you with a different gospel, meaning that if it's not by faith alone and you have to add works to it, well, they need to be cursed. They need to be anathematized. They need to be just taken out of the picture because that is not salvation. Salvation is all by grace. And it's all by the work of God. Nothing that we do has participated in that. Nothing that we do can contribute to that salvation. Just like when Jesus met Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to him at night, a secret disciple. And he was a, a person that just knew that there was something missing in his life. If you know anything about Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was one of those that was up in, up in the top echelon of society. He was probably powerful and rich, influential, a teacher of the law. Jesus says, you, the teacher of Jerusalem, you, the teacher of Israel, you, the teacher of the law, and you still don't get this? And what it was that he didn't get was that Nicodemus came to him at night and he asked him, he says to him, Jesus, we know that you are a man come from God, for no one can do the things that you do. And nowhere in that part of the conversation did Nicodemus ask him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? See, Nicodemus was self-righteous, but he sensed something was still missing. And when he came to Jesus Christ, just proclaiming that he had to have come from God, Jesus Christ nails it, looks into his eyes, looks through into his heart, looks right through him. He says, no one can come into the kingdom of God unless he is born again. In the same manner that you had no contribution of your birth to your parents, 
you had no contribution or no say so as to whom and when and where you would be born. Spiritual salvation is the same thing. Nicodemus asked him, says, well, how can this be done again? How can this be done? How can a man enter his mother's womb and come back out again? You see, what Jesus was telling him is that it's by grace alone through faith. And this not of yourselves. This faith does not come from yourselves. It is a gift of God that God has to give you in order to respond to that faith. And when the Galatians had received this message, and they received this message of salvation by grace through faith, it's through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And, and when that happened in Nicodemus' life, when that happened in the, the Gentiles' life, when that happened to the people in Galatia, when that happens to you, you, come, you have to come to understand that there is nothing you can add to that. All we can do is respond. Respond to what God has done in your life. What God has delivered you from. And as what Paul has been teaching and sharing with the people in Galatia, he says, you know, we, I planted you guys. I, I planted these churches. I've talked to you guys. I've discipled you. I've taught you that it is by grace alone. And Paul identifies that this false gospel is a distortion. He says, you cannot be adding anything else to this gospel. It is evident, he says in verse 11 of chapter 3, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And that's the message that Habakkuk had given to the Old Testament, the people, from God. It's by faith. That's the message that Paul had just talked about last week when we talked about how Abraham was visited by God and he was made righteous. It was counted to him, not because of the law. And so in this, in this epistle, as Paul is, is trying to share with these people, you, you, you accepted the message, you understood the message, the message came to you, and yet now you are being bewitched. Now these were believers, believers that understood that it was by the grace of God. However, because of our inadequacy, and, and we should feel inadequate, and because of our, our, our sin, and we should recognize our sin because we, we really, it's hard to understand, really? Just, that's all I have to do is just believe and accept that by faith? There's got to be something more. There's got to be more that I have to do. And so in trying to hold on to that salvation, which you didn't get in the first place, God gave it to you, and trying to hold on to that salvation and trying to do things which you couldn't pay for, you couldn't earn it, and trying to hold on to that, we tried to add more to what Jesus Christ has already done. And what, what ends up happening is we, we end up actually damaging our testimony and hurting ourselves and others around us in trying to add more to what Jesus Christ has already done. For all, Paul says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Because we try to hold on to, and, and this is one of the things that many people do. We, there's 416 or 413 laws in the Old Testament. And Jesus said, and Paul says, if you fail in one, you've missed them all. And so people kind of condense it down to the Ten Commandments. I can keep the Ten Commandments. Okay, you've got to add another 400 on top of that. There are all these laws that the Jewish people tried to established in their life and tried to follow and they said you know we're doing well we're doing good and their self-righteousness like Nicodemus 
And like many other people in the, in the New Testament, the people in Galatia, they, they call these guys the Judaizers because they wanted to hold on to the law and add it to the grace that God had given us. But Paul says, cursed is anyone who does not abide by all things written in the law. You miss one, you've missed them all. And we talked about this last week. Then why did God give us the law? Why, if it, if it was going to be by faith alone, why, if it only was going to be by what Abraham established through God, that it was only going to be through faith, why did he give us the law? Well, the first thing we mentioned last week was it was to demonstrate the total sinfulness of man. And just to go, look, go back a little, we go back to Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 and on. Actually, it's verse 19. He says in Galatians 3.19, why then the law? And Paul says, it was added because of transgression. Until the offspring could come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in the place through angels and by intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. The law was given to show us our sinfulness. Because of transgression, because of sin, it was given to us because it defines what sin is. It defines who we are. Everybody knows what is right and wrong. That is God's law that has been placed in human hearts. Every culture has some sort of a, of a code, of a moral ethical code that they, they do not pass. They know that they shouldn't do certain things, kill people, hurt people. They, there's just this moral code that is written in the hearts of men. And that, that, that code and that sinfulness that we sense and we, we see, and we mentioned this last week, people say, I, I don't want to come to church because I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. I don't want to come to church because I'm a sinner. I don't want to come to church because, you know, I, I'm not right. I don't want to come to church because there's things that are in me that I know that God will just expose. Well, that's exactly why you should come to church. Because you are a sinner. We've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the law is put into place to show us that sinfulness. It's to show us that we need, the second thing is, is Jesus Christ. To, it directs us to Jesus. And it directs us to him and showing us that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ. And it was also given to us to show us that we need grace. Because we don't want to live under the law. Living under the law is going to bring damnation. Because I fail in just one. But living under grace, and I know I fail him all the time. I fail him every morning. I fail him every day. And that grace is sufficient to cover all my sin. Now, I don't go out and try to fail him on purpose. I, I, I do that sometimes by, as we sang a little while ago, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the moment you don't do that, you failed God. You have missed the mark. You have sinned. And because I have sinned, then the penalty of sin is death. For the gift of God is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And those wages have to be paid. Somebody has to pay them. And thank God that Jesus Christ did that for us. If any human being could have been saved by the law, if the law was all that we needed, Paul was saying that by the Christ fulfill it. The people that should have and could have fulfilled it were the Jewish nation. But the first thing that Jesus Christ did when he came to, to, to earth as, and he started his ministry, the first thing he did on the Sermon on the Mount gives them, you know, you really think you're following the law. Well, have you ever been mad at anybody? Yeah, well, that, 
That's basically murder. Have you thought lustfully on a woman? Yeah, well, that's adultery. Have you ever said just a small lie? Well, just a little, okay, you're a liar. You're, a, you're a, an adulterer, you're a murderer, and you're a liar. And you want to get into heaven by trying to follow that law? And so what Jesus Christ did is he, he put a stop to all this thinking that all I have to do is just look good and sound good, you know, and, and carry a big enough Bible around and, and go to church and say the right things and be very religious, then that should be sufficient. But it's the heart that God looks at. It's the inside. And when we understand that it is by grace that we're saved, then that covers all the multitudes of sin. That doesn't give me permission or that doesn't even give me a license to go out and continue to sin. Even though I know I will fall, God knows I will sin, but I don't do it out of habit. I don't do it out of malice. I don't do it, you know, thumbing my nose at God. He forgave me anyways. I do that because of my sinful flesh, my, my desires within me that are warring within me. Those are the things that James calls the evil desires within us. Paul is saying, you don't want to be under the covenant of the law. You want to be under the covenant of the promise. Paul is saying that you don't want to try to come to God through works. You don't want to have to work for that salvation. It's impossible because you have broken the law at one point. You'll break them all. Every one of us wants to come to God in faith. Father, I know that I've sinned. I am a sinner. I come to you in faith, understanding that you have forgiven me. And what Jesus says, go and sin no more. You messed up there. Don't do that again. Okay, you've messed up right there. Don't do that again. And, and just stay away from those things that you know that are causing you to stumble. The covenant of promise, which was given to Abraham, is the covenant that saves. And so Paul's argument through this whole epistle is Abraham was given the promise. He was saved by faith because he believed that promise. The law was given 450 years later. And now the Jewish people are, and everyone else is trying to live by the law. And so the question is, so if this is all we're going to have to need to live by, Abraham's faith, the faith of Abraham, then why the law? And Paul says, because this way it can show you who you are. We can't keep the law. Because in this next portion of, of Scripture, verses 23 through 29, I'm going to read that. Paul gives us some very clear definitions as to why it is that we cannot live under the law, we shouldn't, and we should be in Christ. Verses 23 says this, in Galatians chapter 3, to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> he says there, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise that we are heirs, that we also receive the same benefit and the same riches and the same glory that Jesus Christ receives. And we thank you, Father, 
that we live under that promise, not under the law. We thank you for liberating us, for giving us freedom in Jesus. We thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Under the law, number one in your outlines, under the law, we are prisoners. Paul says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. And that coming faith is Jesus Christ. So the law was put into place to hold us captive. The law was put into place to cause us to be uh, declared guilty. A person that is captive, the person that is in prison, the person that is, is bound and bonded and, and, and bound by the chains of, of sin, a person that is, is incarcerated is guilty. And guilty in a waiting sentence. Either it's a death sentence or whatever the sentence might be. But he's there to fulfill the sentence that was given by the judge. And the judge is a perfect judge, which is God. And Paul, Paul says that that's why the law was given. It's to hold you captive. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, Paul said this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. What Paul is saying here is that we are prisoners because this law that is there, it's placed within human hearts. You may not they may not understand the full Ten Commandments or understand that God had given these laws, but every person has this moral code placed within them, knowing what's right and what's wrong. And yet, people, me, us, we choose to do the wrong thing. And so then our hearts become darkened, our eyes have become closed. And Paul, and Paul is saying here to the people in Rome that the wrath of God is being revealed because everyone should know. Everyone needs to know. Everyone has to know. It's, it's already laid out. And it's being declared. The Bible says, uh, David says that the heavens declare his glory. All you have to do is look at the stars. All you have to do is just look at the creation and recognize and realize somebody, a great being, made this. And that directs you straight to God. And so Paul goes on to say that, that the scriptures have, uh, have this inward law that's placed within us and, and it's been given to us by God. And the purpose of the law was to reveal and to convict men of sin. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 7, he says, What then shall we say? The, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. That's what, that's what the law was doing. For I would not have been known, I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said so, you should not covet. I would, know, I would not know what it means to, 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 to have adultery or, or adultery if I didn't know that the law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. There, there are things that the law show us, and once we recognize and see it, we realize that's why the law was put into place. Paul says in Romans 7, 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Forgiveness. And see, and this is, this is the key. 
the law has to be elevated and looked at and, and taken apart. We have to show the law to people and, and people have to recognize because if they don't recognize, if we don't recognize that we're sinners, then forgiveness means nothing to us. Forgiveness means nothing to a person who either is unaware he has done anything wrong or is unconvinced that the wrong that they have done produces any serious consequences. And so when God gave us the law, it's to show us you, you're, you can't keep this law. That's why you need grace. And grace means nothing to a person who does not know he is sinful. And that such sinfulness means he is separated from God and damned. If, if, there's, if there's, no point in, there's no point in preaching grace, unless a person understands how lost they are. We can tell people, you know, Jesus Christ came to save you. I don't need saving. You know, Jesus Christ truly loves you. Well, you know, I love Jesus too. You know, Jesus Christ really exists. I believe he exists. And there are a lot of people running around understanding all these attributes of God and understands about Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross. I believe that he, he, he resurrected. I believe those things, but it hasn't changed their life. And the biggest reason is because they don't understand that they're sinners. They don't understand that they're going to be spending eternity in damnation. They don't understand that there is, there is a literal hell that is waiting for people that are going to be cut apart or cut away from God. And, and the, the law helps us to see that and show that every human being either continuously lives as a captive slave under the chains, under the judgment of God's laws, the demands of which somebody has to pay for, and eternal damnation, eternal hell is, is the, the penalty for that type of sin, or he lives by faith. And he lives by faith as a free person with the chains taken off, recognizing that we have been saved by grace. Either one or the other. The believer who looks back and looks at the law and wants to hold on to everything that the law wants to do for you. And there's people that continue to want to obey by the law. Now, the law doesn't mean it's obliviated. Jesus Christ didn't, didn't, Jesus Christ didn't come and he said himself, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. There are things in the law that we have to abide by as far as do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not sin, do not lie, do not steal, do not covet. Those are just things that we know that we shouldn't do. But to try to live by the ceremonies, to try to live by the traditions, to try to live by every letter of the law is what Paul is talking about. He says, in custody, under the law, which we violate continuously, man is imprisoned. And, and not only is the law a prisoner, not only is the law a uh, prison for us, it's also under the law we are pupils. Under the law we are pupils. Paul says in verse 24, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. A guardian. Some of your translations might have a tutor or a schoolmaster. A tutor is a different word. Uh, it would be a didaskalos, is a teacher. But a guardian, a padigagos, is a, a person that was placed over you to just watch you and, and discipline you and care for you. And, and it was a Greek term that a lot of the Greeks would use. You would have tutors, and some of these people would have tutors. They would have care providers. They would have nannies. And then they had this guardian. And the guardian's responsibility was to make sure that you understood your role as a person, specifically as a young man, as a young boy. And the guardians were mainly placed upon young men. And Paul says that's what the, that's what the law was. 
the law is a guardian. It's a patigagas. And, and it's and it was generally given to the Greeks' slaves of the family, and the responsibility of them was to keep the boy in line. Usually they were strict disciplinarians. Usually they were, you know, constantly berating them and on them and making sure that they took care of things. You know, sometimes some of us might think, you know, that might be a good idea to institute that once again. Let somebody else raise my kids. They would whip their kids. They would make sure they got to school on time. They made sure that they did their chores or whatever the case may be. These were the guardians. And Paul says, that's what the law was. The law is a guardian. Taking care of everything that you need to know to make sure that you stayed on track. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 4.14, Paul uses that word uh, guardian or pedagogos. For though you have countless guides, pedagogos in Christ's, you might have all these different Christs or different uh, teachers or uh, guides, guardians that you might be looking over you. You do not have many fathers. He says, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It was a well-known term for the people of that day. And a little bit later, he says in verse 21, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with the rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? In other words, should I come to you as that Patty Gagon? Should I come to you as that guardian? That guardian that is disciplining you, making sure you're staying on the right track. Or should I come to you as a loving father? What do you prefer? The church in Corinthians, if you remember correctly, it was in disarray. And it was a very disobedient church. And so Paul is using that term. And that term is the same term that he's using for the law. And so something happens. Something happens in between childhood and adulthood. Somewhere around 14, 15, or 16, the, the young man grows up. And he becomes able to handle his own affairs. He's responsible for his own actions. He becomes a citizen. He, he's, he's able to do various things. And they have this type of uh, toga viralis is what it's called. The toga viralis is a, where, where he gets his own robe. He is clothed and he's put on the robe of adulthood. And now he is free from this guardian. He now, you know, and the guardian is, probably, is left and, and goes off and probably does that for somebody else. They may remain as friends, but he is no longer under this guardian. Paul says, that's what the law is. The law is a guardian. And it, and it, it doesn't make you a part of the family of God or the family of that family. It doesn't make you a son. You're already a son. All it does is protect you, guide you, direct you, discipline you, and keep you on track. And so the sole purpose of the law was God's divine guardian to lead men to Christ, that they may be justified and matured and grown until you are covered by the grace of God, until you are covered by Jesus Christ himself. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Because in Christ, verse 25, Point number one, in Christ, we have freedom in Christ. The whole series that we've been walking through in Galatians is freedom in Jesus. And this is Paul's main point. You have freedom in Jesus Christ. You don't have to live under the law. You don't have to live underneath all that guilt. You don't have to live underneath all that shame. You don't have to live under everything that you cannot accomplish. We are sinful. God knows this, yet he doesn't look at us as sinful. He is in, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, for those that he saved, his righteousness was imputed upon us. That righteousness of Jesus Christ was given to us. And here's the interesting thing, beloved, my sinfulness was imputed to Christ. 
and the sinfulness of all the world was given to Christ. And everything that every sinful person that Jesus Christ died for was given to Jesus Christ. And he was so full of sin that the father had no option but to turn his back and cause this, this huge universal event where the sun was darkened, the, the earth shook, tombs were open, dead people came to life. And as we talked about on Resurrection Sunday, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. It was a 30 by 30, four inches thick curtain that couldn't even be torn apart by horses. And from top to bottom, the Bible says it was split open. And we had access to God. And so now, in Christ, we have this freedom. We're no longer under a guardian. We're no longer in prison. We're no longer awaiting a death sentence. We're no longer in, in this place where... What could happen if something were to happen to me? If I were to die today, would I enter into the presence of God? Because what Jesus Christ did on the cross, see, and this is what Paul has been trying to get across. You don't need the law for that. Jesus is taking care of that. Number two, another thing that happens when we're in Christ is we are sons of God. We have become sons of God. Now, next week, we'll talk about adoption and we'll talk about uh, being sons in a family. And we'll talk about the, the privilege of what it means to be adopted and the process of the Roman world on adoption. And, and some of you have already been through something of that, understood that it, there's a process where the child that you get, the child that you want is yours to whereas the kids that you are born with, you had no choice, you know? And so there is a special meaning there. And I think some of you understand that there's a special, and it is just amazing on how it all just fits together. Well, Paul is saying here in verses 25 and 26, but, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You're sons of God. And, and he, makes the, he makes the argument a little bit later. He makes the argument of saying, you know, now that you're a son, you can call him father. And the term of endearment that Jesus used is the same term of endearment that Paul would use as Abba. A-B-B-A, Abba. The closest term of endearment for me would be Abba or Amma. I remember my mom used to tell us, you know, when you guys are called, Amma, you guys sound like a bunch of goats. Amma, Amma. She grew up in the hills of Mexico raising goats. And that's what she, you guys sound like a bunch of goats. And it's okay because we, she would run to us and we would run to her. There's that term, term of endearment. You see, for the Jewish person, she said, what? You're calling God what? Father? Because they understood God to be the father of creation, the father of lights, the father that oversees all things. But for you, beloved, and me, we can call him dad. Appa. You can call him father directly. Jesus instructed us to pray in that manner. And it is an awesome privilege. And I'm saying as next week, you'll, you'll see that a little bit more. But, but as, and although God is the father of all men, creatively, as he created everything, and everything comes from God, not everyone spiritually is God's children, are God's children. The distinction is made by Jesus Christ himself when he's talking to the Pharisees. You know, you, you are of your father, the devil. There is this separation that there are those that are genuinely saved, regenerated believers that are fathers, that are children of God, sons of God. God's only true spiritual children are those who through faith in Christ Jesus will be full-grown spiritual sons of God. When you are in Christ, 
You are a child of God. You are a son of God. As a matter of fact, prior to becoming a son of God, we were enemies of God. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, even though we were enemies, he says, I love you. Guess how much he loves you now? That you are a child of God. And, and we were dead in our trespasses, Paul tells the people in Ephesians. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins in, in which we once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, following the, the evil desires of our flesh. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And when we understand the connection, when we understand the, 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 under, the meaning of what it means to be a child of God, a son of God, and we can't just be flippantly saying, well, we're all children of God, because we're not. And there is a distinction. And Jesus Christ himself made it. God has no sons who are not identified by faith with his son, Christ Jesus. No one comes to the Father except what does he say? Through me. No one comes to the Father. In, in Galatians chapter 4, he tells us, well, I mentioned that to you already, that he calls us, that we're able to call God Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, in Romans eight sixteen. In other words, the first thing God gives us as believers, he gives us the freedom that we're no longer under the law. And second of all, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us himself and it unites us with him. And therefore, in Hebrews chapter 4, he tells us, Let us then come with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many of your children have come to you, and, and, and not in proper terms, I guess, and maybe not in the proper language, but you know, needing something, desiring something? Oh, Father, the leader of our household. Well, you beseech me some time that I may spend with you to ask of thee one question. Do we have milk? Um, did they come to you that way? No. Hey, where's the milk? It's like, there's supposed to be milk in the fridge, Dad. What happened? Hey, God, what happened? You know, and God will say, well, you know what? I just, not today. There's something that I want to work in your life. Not today. There's something that I'm doing in your life. Or, you know what? It's on its way. Or, you know, would you just turn around and look? It's behind you. Would you just go to church and, and, and meet with the other believers? There's something there for you. You want milk? You want spiritual milk? You'll get it there. Would you just call somebody? Would you call, you know, that person that's in your mind right now, that you know you should call. And, and that impression that I've given you already, just give them a call. You want milk? There it is. Nah, that's all right. I'll just wait till later. I'll see if I can buy some for myself, Dad. There goes my three-year-old walking to the store with a dollar or a quarter. That's insane. That's almost ridiculous, right? It's almost like, that's, that's dumb. But you know what, folks? That's the way we act. Beloved, we respond in the same way. We can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help in the time of need. You know, the third thing that happens, we're clothed in Christ. We're clothed in Christ. In verse 27, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I like the NIV translation a little bit better. Better, It says, have clothed yourself with Christ. The, this clothing yourself and just putting on this covering, this, this toga viralis that, that you are now an adult, a mature uh, individual in Christ. You're no longer under the law. You are now covered, clothed, and you are now a, a, a contributing member of the household of God. And I know that water baptism is an outward act of public confession, but this is not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about that type of uh, baptism. He's talking about being immersed into Christ. Like in Romans chapter 6, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, there is this correlation in this relationship between the actual water baptism that it signifies and it shows that, that we have died in Christ and we have been resurrected in Christ when we are taken out of the water. But what Paul is talking about here is not that type of a baptism. I know some people have taken this as mean, meaning that you are baptized by the Holy Spirit and you're baptized by Jesus Christ. Now, it, this is a baptism into the body of Jesus Christ, clothing yourself by Jesus Christ, walking as, a, as an individual of Jesus Christ, emulating Jesus Christ, copying and in the image of Jesus Christ. That is our responsibility. That is our response. We are to be, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 6, 6, 17, that we are to be one with him in spirit. We are to be one with him. So when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see a sinful person. He doesn't see a person that, that, has, uh, that is perfect. First of all, he does, what he sees is his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the sin that was taken away from, from me by Jesus has now been, I've been covered by Jesus and being presented to God in a sense where now I can stand before God, whereas before I couldn't. Being clothed with Christ because we're clothed in Christ, we should live as Christ did. Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We need to reflect Jesus Christ. We need to reflect him at all times, at all hours, not just on Sunday, not just when I feel like it. As somebody said earlier, I'm not going to mention his names, but his initials are our Ryan Crabtree. Uh, not just because I want to or I feel like it. We do it all the time. And I appreciate you doing it all the time in spite of what's happening in life. We, we honor God and we walk with him and we reflect him. The simplest definition of a Christian person, a person that has committed their life to Christ, the simplest de definition of a person that has been regenerated, changed, and be has become born again, is a person that is clothed with Christ. That is what a believer looks like. And there is no de denying it. You, you, can, you can see the difference. You know the difference. You sense the difference. You'll know this when you come in contact with other people. You'll see that in people's lives and the way they talk and the way they comport themselves. Clothed in Christ. 
And there is no such thing as a Christian who is not clothed in Christ. Every genuine believer is clothed in Christ. It's just, that's just the way it is. Now, I know there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians, but they're not clothed in Christ. They're clothed in sheep's clothing, but inside the ravenous wolves. And following Christ's teaching is important. Understanding what Jesus Christ is saying. Belonging to a part of a small group, a church. Uh, understand learning. Because that's the only way that we're going to be able to know. Well, what did Jesus Christ do? What, what did he say? How did he act? Well, we read the Gospels. We study the Gospels. We recognize our sin. We repent from it. We, we change and we, we, we keep walking in a whole different direction. We walk in the Spirit, not by the flesh. We'll talk about that here in a few, few weeks. In Galatians chapter 5. And, and the, 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 the flesh has these types of characteristics. The Spirit has these types of characteristics. And we'll walk in, that, in, in Jesus Christ. Whatever the Lord Jesus is and has become, the believer is. Because Christ has the love of the Father, and so do we. Because Christ has the full access to the Father, and so do we. Because Christ has the, all the resources, the full resources of the Father, and so do we. In Romans chapter 13, Paul tells them, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put it on. Put on Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You know, when you're fully clothed, there's no room for the flesh to take over. You know, when you just put on the gloves, this is why Paul in Ephesians, you know, just goes over the whole outfit. Not only the helmet, not only the, the belt, not only the breastplate, not only the shoes, not only the shield and the sword, everything. All at once, because our battle is raging. In Ephesians 4.24, he says, And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. A fourth thing that happens when we're in Christ, we're equal. We're equal. He says in verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Paul focused on the existed culture, what was going on at that time. Society was, it was distinct. It was well divided. You know, slaves over here, freedmen over there. You know, masters over here, uh, you know, slaves over here. Men on one side, women on the other. Jews over here, Greeks way over there. That's just the way it was. And Paul lays it out and says, okay, this is how you guys operate. But when you come into the body of Christ, there is no such thing. Not saying that there aren't no distinctions. Because there are distinctions. I don't know if you know that or not. You know, I mean, you know, the, I don't know if you figured that out, but, you know, yeah, it's, there's, there's actually men and women, okay? There's husbands and wives, and, and, and there are no distinctions. There are people that, that are, are slaves or in the workforce, and there's those that are, that are running things. And so there, there are distinctions. But what Paul is saying is that those things don't matter as, long, as far as being saved. Those things don't matter within the body of Christ. You are all one. And anyone that tries to blur those lines, Paul, you know, we'll get some more teaching on that in, in Ephesians. We'll, we'll get some more teaching on that, on that, on how Paul says, you know, that the, the wife should be submitted to her husband. The husband needs to be the, the household. Slaves will be your masters. Masters, uh, uh, take care of your, the slaves. Children, be obedient to your parents. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. There are distinctions. And they're there for a reason. 
As a matter of fact, in Romans 10, 12, Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call upon Him. In the Lord, in the church, in the body of Christ, there's no distinction. And you keep that, you understand that. Not just because you know one person is of one nationality or another person of a different gender or, or whatever the case may be. A different political party, we're all one. And it is ugly. It is ugly when politics gets involved in the church. And I'm not talking the politics of the church, but this society's politics, our government politics. You know, we can, we can disagree on the way that things are being run and, and who's in charge. We can do that. And we can do that in the spirit of the bondness, of, uh, in the bond of one. And, and we, we do that in this unity of the spirit. But when we bring all that into the church and we start dividing as such, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the heart of God to see His children, professed children, acting in such a manner. Possibly in the same way that it would grieve you for your children to do the same thing. In Acts chapter 10, Peter found out the hard way. He opened his mouth and said, and that's something about Peter, he was opening his mouth all the time. He opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. There was something going on in Peter's life that he, for him, there was partiality. For him, there was this division between Jews and Greeks. And he came to this realization, truly, now I understand that there is no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So in Peter's mindset, no, it's just the Jews. No, it's just, just us. But God had to show him a little bit different. The last thing I want to share with you is that we are heirs in Christ. When you're out of the law and you're in Christ, well, first of all, there's freedom. Okay? There's freedom. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer a, a student. You're no longer, you're no longer being told or disciplined in the, in the manner of not keeping the law. You're no longer waiting a death sentence. When you're not under the law, but in Christ, you are a son of God. And we're all sons of God in Christ. Third thing we talked about is we're all clothed in Christ. You're covered in Christ. And because you're covered in Christ and clothed in Christ, then we need to act as we are. We need to walk as we are. And we're all equal and we're all heirs in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise, the spiritual promise of eternal salvation and the blessing given to Abraham. Those are the children of God. In Romans 8, going back to Romans, I like Romans. Romans 8, the, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Christ's inheritance belongs to who are sanctified and set apart that Jesus Christ died for. His fellow heirs, according to the hope of eternal life, we're all sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit. We've been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit and the promise of inheriting God Himself. This is why David could proclaim in Psalm 16, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The book of Revelation at the last chapter, chapter 21, excuse me, not the last chapter, the last book, chapter 21, 
He said this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then he says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. A lot of what Jesus Christ has done for us may not be seen in the physical, material form that many of you are experiencing or expecting. When Paul said, look, you, you are all, you're free. He's talking to people that are slaves. You're free. When Paul says, you're a child of God, to people that are orphans, that have no mothers or fathers, you are a child of God. When he's talking to them that you are, uh, you are clothed, some of these were, were naked, poor, destitute people. When he's talking to people, saying to them, you have this inheritance. They were the poorest of the land. They didn't get their due recompense at that time. As a matter of fact, the writer to the Hebrews says, you know, the world was not worthy of them. Some of them dwelled in caves and lived naked, were sawed in two and cast to lions and killed. Because what Jesus Christ promised us is not on this world. The problem is that, that this world has a stronghold on many people, even believers. It has a stronghold on the flesh and the flesh craves this. The flesh craves everything that the world throws at you. Because the world knows. And when I say the world, that's Satan. He knows. He knows exactly what it is that you desire. But see, when you are clothed in Christ, that craving can't get its hands on you. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. Because walking as a, as a Christian, walking as a believer, clothed in Christ, we stumble and fall. But when you work at clothed in Christ, when you look at and you walk in the clothing and the covering of God and the covering of Jesus Christ, the effects are not as severe. And understanding in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 21, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. There is this return of Jesus Christ that is coming back. He's coming back. We know this. And this return of Jesus Christ, when he returns, he's going to set things straight. For those that are destitute, those that don't have family, those that are, are poor, those that are slaves, he's going to set things straight. And that's when things are going to come together for the believer. But until then, we hold on, we carry on, we carry the message, we, we share that with other people. We encourage one another. This is why we do not neglect the gathering of the saints encouraging one another as we see the day approaching. And we continue to gather. Let me ask you to stand. In one of the commentaries that I've read, it says this, we cannot come to Christ to be justified until we have first been to Moses to be condemned. But once we have gone to Moses and acknowledged our sin, guilt, and condemnation, we must not stay there. We must let Moses send us to Christ. 
if the law has condemned you, if the law has brought you to a point of guilt, of shame, then that is designed not by me. That is designed by God's law to point you to grace. Because that shame, that guilt, that condemnation that you may feel is designed to bring you to Jesus Christ and the grace that only He offers. You can't work it off. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough. There's no way of trying to earn that in any way, shape, or form. You just come to Jesus and let Him clothe you with Himself. Father in heaven, I thank you again for the message that you give us through Paul. Paul's word to the people in Galatia resonates with some of us. We recognize that our own self-righteousness is not sufficient. We recognize that our own legalities and our legalism cannot hold water. We recognize that the law was meant to drive us and send us to Jesus Christ for what he did on the cross for us. I pray, Lord, that any person that's within the sound of my voice can understand that. And we can stop trying to make these things and these adjustments and, and all these all these uh, man-made traditions and rules that we have placed upon ourselves. And we put those aside. And we run directly to your son, Jesus Christ. Because he died on the cross for us. He paid the price. He fulfilled the sacrifice. Because Jesus became our propitiation. And he appeased the wrong that we have done on our behalf. Lord, help us to understand that and live as sons and daughters of you. We thank you for your faith and your, your, your gratefulness, and your grace that you've given us. We thank you for your love and for all the direction you've given us this far. Dismiss us now and lead us in your peace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.